With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 54th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, Podtoppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And also, please certainly subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site, so then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. I appreciate so much all of you worldwide who tune in. And as you all know, if you've been listening before, I love looking at those weekly listener stats. And those are based on IP addresses and the associated general locations of where those are coming through the Voice America website. So it's nothing specific to individuals, just uh, the numbers from the general regions and cities. And I see I had many new listeners this past week from Russia, New Zealand, um, Kenya, and France. So thank you for listening. I appreciate you tuning in. And of course, thank you to all my listeners. I truly do Love to know that you're listening in in, and uh, finding the topics we talk about of value. If any of you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch with me. And if you need help for information security or privacy types of issues or projects, just let me know that too. And yes, keep all your feedback and questions coming in. I always appreciate getting to them. I sometimes can't get replies back to you quickly, and sometimes I reply on the show, but please keep them coming in. My February Privacy Professor Tips message was published on January 30th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please go ahead and sign up for them. I've been providing them for free since 2007, and this is my effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues and to provide a free awareness publication that organizations can use to send to their employees to support their own awareness um, efforts. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Now, To my tip for the week, on February 20th, just a week ago, it was widely reported 
that Google's Nest Guard, which is a component that's part of their Nest Secure system, well, it was discovered that it had a voice-activated and controlled microphone built into it. And this was a feature that they had not previously included in their system descriptions. And they did not show this in the tech specification documents that came with these systems. They've never done that. And it was launched back in September of 2017. So, you know, a year and a half ago. Now, Google claims that it was an innocent oversight not to include this documentation. And, you know, perhaps, I mean, I'm a bit skeptical and find it a little bit hard to believe given the amount of planning and engineering and testing and implementation that you it is really needed to be associated with putting a microphone in a device and to then to just leave off documentation of that, that just seems like a huge oversight to go on for a year and a half. Now, Google, though, has stated that the Nest Guard's microphone has never been on by default and that users must first enable it before talking to it and actually having the mic to record what they're saying. Google said the mic was originally included just in anticipation of future security updates like the ability to detect broken glass, maybe if somebody's breaking through your window trying to get in. So it's really downplaying this pretty alarming revelation. You know, but still, if there's a microphone in this device and someone obviously discovered it and they reported it, which is why we now know about it, and the device was not properly secured, what would have prevented an unauthorized cyber intruder from turning it on and you wouldn't know about it? So this situation speaks to a larger problem of the growing numbers of Internet of Things or IoT devices and how the trend seems to be to have them all listening and recording capable, often through voice control. So all of you listening, how many of you have such smart gadgets that have these listening and recording capabilities? Now, keep in mind that those recordings of what is in your vicinity, where these gadgets are located, are possibly being collected and stored in some cloud or multiple clouds elsewhere. Do you know where those clouds are at? Most people don't. Well, have you checked your IoT devices to know whether or not there's this listening type of feature on your IoT devices. So my tip for today, make a little bit of time to check each of your smart IoT devices and see what your settings are for recording, voice control, listening mode, or any other type of setting that would indicate that it is doing such recording. This Google Nest Guard situation is really a good lesson that even if you do not have documentation stating that the device has such eavesdropping, if you will, capabilities, it does not mean that it does not. So if the smart device that you do have in your home right now, such as for a smart TV or a security system, a baby monitor, 
an unlimited list of other possibilities. If it seems as though what you have could have such capabilities, call the manufacturer and ask them. And if they tell you to read your device specifications, well, let them know that because of the Google Nest Guard situation, you know that such capabilities are not always documented and that you want some type of confirmation in writing, preferably, that the device truly does not have such listening surveillance types of capabilities. We really need to start holding vendors of such products accountable. And the more they get these types of requests and calls from consumers, the more they're going to understand that this is really important for them to properly address. So now on to our show topic I've mentioned before that my degrees are in mathematics and computer science and education. And for the math part, two of my very favorite areas have always been geometry and statistics. Increasingly more often, businesses are creating software using math to predict what will happen or to perform statistical analysis or do some more detailed types of analysis for projections and predictions, which is a very, very simplistic description of artificial intelligence or AI. I remember one of my undergraduate classes from many, many years ago uh, in my LISP programming class, and that's L-I-S-P programming class. You know, we spent a lot of time looking at how to engineer statistical modeling predictions. What was very intriguing was seeing how all of us students in the class could be given the same situation or scenario to create our program for, to project outcomes in certain situations, and then how different the results could be from one student to the next that you know were produced through their programs. Now, when discussing our various programs, we as a class heard how each person created their program, and oftentimes they injected in one way or another some of his or her own opinions, or maybe they included some consideration of facts or aspects that others hadn't used and so on, and that impacted their results differing from others in the class. You know, for the same situation that we were given, all of us, to create this program for. And very interestingly enough, there were a few in the class who had determined before doing any software design, they determined what they thought the results should be for this project, for this exercise. So they coded their programs and they created their algorithms based on those expectations. They stated that they thought it would be a good way to determine if their results were correct, you know, if their results matched their expectations. Now, here's an interesting thing about determining what you want to prove before you actually prove it. You know, with such a mindset, you can often create algorithms within your program to support your theory, which is not really the same as proving your theory. Now, certainly there are unlimited possibilities for using AI 
for the benefit of a few to benefiting really large populations. And I read just recently a really good example, a research team from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Harvard Medical Center uh, Medical School in cooperation with each other recently developed AI methods to train computers to interpret pathology images. And they had a long-time goal of building AI-powered systems to make pathologic diagnoses more accurate using an AI method based on deep learning, uh, a machine learning algorithm used for a wide range of applications such as speech recognition and image recognition. So, you know, AI is truly a wonderful, can be a wonderful, great benefit that could save potentially millions of lives. Um, Many in the information security community are really hopeful that AI can strengthen cybersecurity efforts also. You know, I recently commented within an article by Michael Heller at Tech Target about a new contract that was recently awarded to a behavioral biometrics startup to the Department of Defense here in the U.S. And it uses AI to do what they call continuous authentication. Now, I pointed out to Michael that you know, continuous authentication and how they described it has many privacy implications. So that's something that uh, is very interesting. Um, and as another example, it was reported a few days ago that the nonprofit Elon Musk backed AI research group called OpenAI, they wanted to train their new text generation software to predict the next word in a sentence. And they reported that it was, you know, just so fabulous and it just blew away all their expectations. It was just so good at mimicking the writing by humans that they, you know, they decided to stop their research while they go back and they look at the types of damage that it could potentially do. Now, it's worth noting that Elon Musk himself reported that he's not directly involved with that particular activity uh, or open AI. And the critics say that the writing that it produced was, quote, as senseless as a chatbot, uh, chat end quote. So, you know, it's all worth mentioning. So considering these issues, and certainly there are many, many more to consider, just how accurate are all those AI tools being offered? Are they biased? Um, can they really improve information security? Will they improve or deteriorate privacy? Well, today I am happy to welcome Dr. John Cook, an applied mathematician working in data privacy and Bayesian inference. Now, John completed a Ph.D. at the University of Texas and a postdoc at Vanderbilt University before leaving academia. After working as a software developer for a few years, John joined the Department of Biostatistics at MD Anderson Cancer Center. John now has his own consultancy, John D. Cook Consulting. John, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the invitation. Well, it's such an 
an interesting topic, and I'm I so much look forward to hearing your thoughts on on some of these issues. And you know, I want to start by looking at. Um, just AI in general, many long established as well as startup tech companies and other types of businesses, they're touting their use of artificial intelligence as a market differentiator for their service or product. But how accurate do you think the results of all of those AI calculations are in general? Well, Sometimes they're they're very accurate. There's there's been really impressive stuff uh, in the area of image processing, uh, medical images like you were talking about. Uh, also, uh, finding things in satellite photos, it, it can be uncanny how well they they can find things. But at the same time, you know, AI can be used uh, as uh, can be overhyped. Uh, a product may not be doing anything sophisticated, but just uh, market itself as, as artificial intelligence. So how, how can you tell? I mean, what are some indicators that the AI results aren't accurate? Well, it, it's funny. The goal may not necessarily be accuracy per mm. se. And this is where machine learning and artificial intelligence is uh, a little different than traditional statistics. Uh, there's a huge amount of overlap, and to some extent they're synonymous, but there is kind of a philosophical difference in that statisticians want to build an interpretable model of the world where you know each, each part of an equation means something – or is thought to mean something. Maybe they're wrong, but they're they're trying to accurately describe what's going on, and as a result, hope to make good predictions. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, is more goal oriented in that they primarily want to make good predictions, mm-hmm. and if making an accurate model of the world helps that, so be it. But if the model's not accurate, but it makes good predictions, then that's okay. So, for example, you know, Amazon wants you to buy things on their site. Mm-hmm. And they can improve sales by showing you what you're asking for. But if they show you something you weren't looking for and you buy it, then that meets their goal as well. Ah, de- yes, definitely. And you can see where they sometimes need to improve their um, their AI when, for instance, if I bought a pair of shoes and after I bought the shoes, they keep showing me ads for those exact same shoes <laughs> the day after I bought them. It's like, come on, quit showing me these ads for the same shoes that I just bought. I'm not interested in buying another pair. Right. Um, so, you know, what are some of the the questions that consumers you know, for anything that they're considering that involves AI or, or businesses should ask uh, to help determine if maybe just saying it's AI is marketing spin or if they're actually using thoughtful and well-engineered AI. Yeah, I, I would say one thing would be to go be goal-driven like AI is. Just, you know, is this product doing what I want? Uh you know, maybe it's a, a little green man inside. Maybe it's artificial intelligence. Maybe it's a dumb program. But is it doing what I want it to do? Um, and I would also ask, you know, what are the consequences of it going wrong? Mm. 
So, uh, you know, with, with Amazon's website, if they show you something that you didn't want to buy, well, you know, maybe they lost a sale, but, you know, there's no harm there. Uh, if a self-driving car makes a mistake, someone might get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, if, uh, you know, with the Internet of Things, you know, what are the, what are the consequences if something goes wrong? Uh, maybe your privacy is violated by a microphone that's listening to your mm-hmm. conversations. Uh, maybe your refrigerator doesn't work because your internet connection's down. You know, you, can, you could have bizarre side effects. So uh, I would say one thing to look at is the consequences of it being wrong. That's a that's a great way to look at it because, like with the the Beth Israel and the Harvard Medical, you know, work that they're doing with AI and pathology, um, it's like. Gosh, that's so important, but what if that wasn't accurate and you told somebody, you know, you have cancer when you didn't, so, you know, that would impact a person's health quite a bit, or vice versa even. So, that that's a really great way uh, to explain that. Um, well, and in, in, with that example, there's probably a human in the loop. Nobody's okay. going to treat a patient yet, anyway, based solely on... Uh, a computer analysis of uh, pathology images. Uh, so if if the if the program went way off the rails, hopefully a radiologist or somebody would notice that and say, "Oh, uh, something squirrely here. We need to double check." Um, but when the consequences are low, you don't maybe you, maybe you don't need a person in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was an example that came up. Maybe it's been a year ago now where there were two twins that were applying for their driver's license. And the first twin got her driver's license, but the second twin could not because when she registered for her driver's license, they said that this was a a duplicate image. Her face already matched one that was in the database. Right. Well, that that was a minor annoyance because a human could say, well, obviously there's twins uh, here in the office. So, you know, uh, that's what went wrong. You laugh about it and you fix it. But there was a human in the middle. There was a human override. Uh, It wasn't uh, an automated decision. Right, right. So we're not to the point with many things in AI yet where you you can expect that humans aren't going to be needed to uh, be involved uh, to make sure and validate and maybe double check that the results are correct. Do you think we'll ever get there? I mean, do you, are we, are we even close to being there with any type of AI right now? Well, I'd say we're already there with some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, commerce that's going on without the human in the loop. There's no one at Amazon approving the the suggestions that the algorithms <laughs> are making, but they're also low consequence. Yes, yes. So we can all hopefully rest assured that if there's something major that is life impacting, that there will be others involved um, I- involved with those decisions. Do you have any real life examples kind of to demonstrate where AI results, you know, were really, really far off from reality? Well, uh, one example is, is voice recognition. Uh, Siri usually works really well. It works well for my wife. It works well for my daughters. It doesn't work for me. Uh, mm-hmm. When I've tried using it, 
you know, I asked it for directions to a, a Starbucks nearby, and it said, "Okay, playing songs by Barbara Streisand." <laughs> that's a that's pretty interesting. Starbucks and Streisand, I guess. Uh, yeah, there's kind of a link there, right? I guess. So. <laughs> but again, it was low consequence. You know, it yeah. was a minor annoyance. It's not not going to cause any problems. Uh, I guess a more serious problem would be like with driving directions. Mm. Uh, there have been instances of someone uh, driving into a lake because they were just blindly following their GPS. Yes. Isn't that crazy? That reminds me of the office episode where uh, Michael Scott drove right into the lake because he saw it coming, but it's like, that's what, my GPS is telling me that's where I need to turn. <laughs> and it was like, come on, you you need to always have a little bit of human logic to uh, bring into the the results or the directions you would get, I would think. Sure. But then there's the kind of interesting gray zone where uh, the human and the computer disagree and the computer's right. Ah, uh, I mean, just last week I was uh, driving to uh, meet a client for breakfast, and uh, my phone told me to turn left when I, I knew I needed to turn right. And <laughs> turns out it was right, and I was wrong. There were two hotels by the uh, by the same name, and I thought I knew the right one, but my phone was actually telling me to go to the the right one. So, did you do what it asked you to do, or did you go with your own, uh, you know, your own? knowledge no i went with my own knowledge because i could see with my own eyes that there was the hotel i was looking for but it turns out i was wrong okay Uh, so with the uh with the radiology uh, example Mm -hmm. uh sometimes you know the computer and the radiologist disagree and the the computer's right oh which can be life-saving there too right right well, um, with regard to, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're, we're going to be coming up on a break here in a couple of minutes, but I wanted to get your, your thoughts about what I talked about in the intro, you know, the Elon Musk-backed AI company that thought their text generator was too dangerous because it was too accurate. Do you think this was just marketing spin to get attention, or do you think their concerns were valid? Oh, Elon Musk would never do anything for attention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely not. uh, I I don't know. I I don't see as much danger from fake words as from fake photos and fake videos. Um, You know, if you if you read a computer generated article, um, I mean, I think people have some skepticism over what they're going to read in print, but you know. there have been some remarkably convincing, you know, fake photos and fake videos. Mm-hmm. Um, Radio Lab did an episode uh, a while back uh, where uh, someone had animated uh, Barack Obama to to mm-hmm. create to uh, create a video that he did not make. I, mean, I see that as much more dangerous than a, a computer generated. Uh, piece of text oh definitely and i'm sorry we got a break right now for um for a word from our sponsors but when we come back i want to pick up right from there okay all right um so now it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that i do appreciate so much i'm speaking today with dr john cook 
about artificial intelligence, and we're going to get into the impacts to privacy and other condi- uh, considerations when we come back. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as provide show topics, suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Dr. John Cook about artificial intelligence. And right now we're going to start getting more into the impacts to privacy and also to other considerations. But when we left off, we were talking about how um, the artificial intelligence can now be used to actually make videos of, uh, you know, actual videos bring in different words so it, they can make it look like and even make the, the faces change of, like you mentioned, John, uh, with President Obama, and we there, I've seen him with President Bush, too. It's really amazing. I mean, that seems like it could be pretty darn dangerous given people depend so much on videos as proof. Sure. 
but I also think people will get uh, more skeptical over time. I mean, it's it's well known that Photoshop can do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like put Teddy Roosevelt into a you know modern setting or something, and and I think we'll have to learn that people can do the same thing with video. It'll be interesting to see how video used for like court cases as evidence because we see this growing so much everybody has their smartphone and they're using that to become viral videos you know and also it's even being used as evidence it'll be interesting to see how this a type of ai that modifies those videos might impact the um acceptability of videos as evidence and what they do to validate that they're actually you know real that they haven't been altered Sure. And uh, there'll be uh, more work for statisticians who are (laughs) looking at these videos to look for evidence that they've been tampered with. Yes. I mean, you can do that with still photos, like uh, you can look for uh, Fourier components, uh, evidence that things have been copied, uh, things like that. And people end up doing the same thing for video. Yeah. So at a high level, and you know, my listeners are a very wide range. Some of my listeners are highly technical, and I know I I have a lot of listeners who are, you know, tune in to hear about topics and just learn more about them. So, you know, for you, if somebody came to you and gave you a video and they said, hey, John, can you tell us if this is real or if it's been doctored? um, What would you do at a high level, you know, to, to determine whether or not the the video has been doctored. Uh, one thing you could look for is uh, uh, patterns in a in a photo that are uh, are not uh, that are too regular. Mm. If you have if you have something that's too smooth, then that's suspicious. Um, I mean, it reminds me of something that, that we dealt with at MD Anderson, looking at some data where you had this this. Uh, uh, spike at 60 hertz, like 60 times a second, there was a peak in this data. And so, like, you know, that's not biology. <laughs> biology doesn't do that. That's the hum of a, an electrical equipment somewhere. Uh, anyway, you can look for things like that in a video. You look for things that uh, have an unlikely distribution, maybe at, at a, uh, a, a level that you couldn't consciously notice. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, as AI gets more advanced and better, then it sounds like they will probably find ways to even make the AI so it doesn't have such uh, indicators as that. Um, uh, sure, it'll be, it'll be an arms race like with everything else. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on biases. So in my lead-in, you know, and this stuck with me obviously through many decades since I was an undergraduate, but it always was interesting to me about biases and especially from that LISP class because it's like, yeah, you know, if, if somebody's given an assignment to create a program to do a certain thing, how they're approaching this request and their life experiences or their expectations for what needs to come out uh, seems like that could really impact, you know, your your AI. So historically, for any types of algorithms and software code, I mean, um, the results were often dependent on the biases. It, what ways have you seen in which AI results can be influenced by the biases of the AI creators? Well, uh, 
whenever you have data that you're learning from, you could be biased by the, the choice of data that you have. Mm. Uh, maybe you have data that's convenient to collect rather than data that's a, a consciously chosen sample. Um, and this is not unique to AI. Uh, mm-hmm. There, there was a, a news story a few weeks ago about um, about bias in medical textbooks mm-hmm. that um, researchers didn't realize for a long time that that Asian and African women have a different shaped pelvis than uh, European women because uh, the preponderance of cadavers. Uh, that were being studied were European origin and they didn't realize that uh, one is more circular and one is more oval. I forget which is which, but mm-hmm. the, the medical results were biased because of uh, the, the bias of, of bodies that they were studying. Uh, you could have the same thing happen with AI. You have some data that's collected uh, under some biased circumstance and you want to use it because it's there. Um, and that's not necessarily wrong, but it's just something to be, to to look out for. Mm-hmm. So the data certainly that you're using could be used um, and bias the results. How about the algorithms themselves? I mean, are there cert- right like right now? Are there certain types of standards for building unbiased AI algorithms, or you know, have we not gotten that far yet? Well, there's always going to be a subjective element when you make inferences from data. You just you can't avoid that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no tabula rasa. I mean, you you bring uh, you bring preconceptions to the data. You have to, but you can test for them. Mm-hmm. And you know the profit motive is good uh, for incentivizing that. I mean, you can think the world's one way, and if you don't sell any product, you know, then you re- reconsider your assumptions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, well, I want to get into system security now, security controls. Um, and also, you know, how AI, I've, I've been reading so many articles about how AI is going to support better information security or it's going to replace the traditionally used information security. And even like that article that I mentioned that I provided, you know, some input for about, I just find the term, you know, continuously authenticating is just a funny term to me. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about using AI for information security controls? It, it can be valuable. Uh, one trend in in security is moving from being reactive to being predictive. Uh, so instead of you know looking at the data to tell whether there has been a breach, uh, you could look at the data to tell if, if it looks like there's a breach in progress or if there's some suspicious activity leading up to a breach. Uh, just like um, in more in other situations like in a, in a uh, chemical plant, instead of trying to detect you know, that, that there's a problem with something, you could try to predict that there's going to be a problem with something. You know, if, you can, if you can tell when a motor is uh, gone out, that's good. But if you can tell a motor is about to go out, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, as you were describing that, what f- kind of came into my mind, I don't know why, are all these um, predict AI being used to predict like earthquakes and so on. It seems like they've been 
um, really working on those for so many years that now they're pretty darn accurate. So uh, maybe we'll get to that point in information security also for some of the different domains anyway. Um, well, how how about privacy? Because, you know, probably for the rest of the, the our hour here, I mean, there's so many different ways that it seems like artificial intelligence could be used to reveal insights about people that impact their privacy. But what do you think? How do you think it it can or could be used, AI, to reveal insights about people? Oh, sure. Uh, It could certainly be used uh, to to reveal things about people. There was the famous case of of, uh, Target being able to tell uh, when someone may be pregnant because of their shopping patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty crazy, wasn't it? <laughs> right, and and maybe you know maybe the the woman involved doesn't even realize she's pregnant, but Target mm-hmm. does. It's it's really scary when you think about it, and it's like based on your buying habits. And for my listeners. That this happened, gosh, I think it's probably been at least what, maybe six or seven years ago, maybe even more. Um, it's been a little while. Yeah. So in this case, in that case, and and correct me if I get some of the details wrong, but you know the people who went to Target and regular customers, Target would send out the ads to them, and in this case, why they sent uh, ads for baby supplies, right? Because they said based on their buying habits, they they determined that uh, the the household someone in there was expecting a baby and what the the woman was actually a 16 year old girl and her dad you know she and everybody else in the the family were kind of surprised I think to to learn that (laughs) so in that case that was pretty accurate but how accurate in general with regard to people and their lives are you know AI I mean there's so many different types of artificial intelligence the accuracy must vary greatly Sure. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to predict. I mean, some things are just intrinsically predictable uh, compared to other things. Like if uh, if you know the price of someone's house, you probably know their income pretty accurately because those are highly correlated. Uh, trying to predict whether somebody's going to respond to a chemotherapy agent is a whole lot harder. Mm. Uh, so. Uh, you know, if if the world presents you a chance, you know, if there's something that is easily predicted from data, yeah, then uh, then someone could take advantage of that. Some things are just harder, though. I mean, behavioral things are harder than physical things. You mm-hmm. know, it's easier to to uh, spot missile silos in a satellite photo than it is to uh, predict whether someone is. Uh, you know, likely to want to buy an ice cream cone. I don't know. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. behavior is, is is typically harder, but not not impossible. I mean, and and again, you can be profitable if you can just be good on average, right? If if you can improve your predictions a little bit, they can still be pretty inaccurate. But if they're better than they were before, it could be profitable. Of course, it could. Um- 
I mean, it could impact people's lives too, though. I mean, you know, if we we start thinking about AI, like the the book and then the movie Minority Report, right? Everybody thinks about Minority Report, where it, it is uh, AI is being used to predict if somebody's going to you know commit a crime, and then so they. They arrest people ahead of time. Well, now we're seeing in other countries, like in um, China is just one example. There, there are many other countries as well. But there's a lot of surveillance out right now that does AI on not only, you know, people, and their, but their actions and their facial expressions to determine, um, you know, if they might be up to no good or if they're doing something that they shouldn't. I mean... That's where I guess I'm kind of concerned about the accuracy of AI results based upon the actions that are taken um, with those results, you know, how they impact people's lives. Right. I mean, it goes back to the earlier theme of looking at consequences. Uh, you know, if, if AI is able to uh, cleverly give you an advertisement just when you're most receptive to seeing it. Uh, that may be harmless, though. In the case of the the uh, teenage mother, it wasn't harmless. But in in general, that that's not high stakes. But with something like with uh, China's uh, social monitoring efforts. Uh, you know, the results could be you can't get a loan, you can't buy a house, mm-hmm. you can't get a driver's license because an algorithm, rightly or wrongly, has decided that you shouldn't have those things. And it, it kind of related <laughs> to privacy, too, is, um, you know, right now throughout the world, a lot of people are just trying to figure out what is personal data, what is considered to be personal data. And now we're getting to the point where we're beyond just, you know, name, social security number, credit card number, and so on, to say, well, any type of data that could be linked to an individual. But I'm wondering if someday we get to the point where some types of results from artificial intelligence might be considered as personal information. So it, it may not, you know, it, it may be describing something that has never before been considered, but yet actions are being taken that impact people's lives because they fit into certain categories or, um, you know, certain types of classes or whatever. Um, it's it's really interesting. And I'm wondering, you know, what are you doing with regard to looking at, like, some of the real-life examples of AI? Uh, do you have any of those that are being used to determine information about people and then when actions have been taken? You know, maybe, you know, more recently, uh, like, Target was a great early one, um, but especially with your medical you know, work that you've done. I mean, are, do you have any real life examples about that? Well, I think the the biggest example right now is what what China's doing with their social credit score. Mm. I, mean, I mean, that's that's having uh, you know real consequences. Uh, you know, there's you get a score of you know how good a person you are based on uh, the data that they've they've collected and. That has consequences. Well, where's that data being collected from? Do you know? Uh, facial recognition cameras, for one. 
So, I mean, there was a leak uh, just this last week, I think, where uh, uh, China was collecting data on Uyghurs, their uh, ethnic minority, and uh, you know, keeping track of where they've been, where where they're going, and so forth. And some of this data was breached. Interesting. Some, yeah. I mean, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, uh, this is maybe a, a little bit of a different tangent, but have you talked on your show about the uh, Motherboard article that came out a few weeks ago where uh, a reporter hired a bounty hunter to see if the bounty hunter could find his phone? Mm-mm. Yeah, go ahead and tell us that. Yeah, so that uh, to, to see what would happen, uh, you know, a reporter uh, – Hired a bounty hunter, I think, for like two or three hundred dollars, not even not even a huge amount, to see if this person could find his location based on uh, phone location data, and sure enough, he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this data is being collected; it's being sold. It's not being sold to bounty hunters. You can't go to AT and T and say, "Hey, I'm a bounty hunter. Could I have phone location <laughs> data?" But you know, it's sold to one party who sells it to another, and yeah, the bad guys can get a hold of it. Oh, sure. Have you ever gone into the dark web to find this type of data in, during your research? No, I've read about it. Um, I don't really want to go there <laughs> unless I have a, a real need to. It's kind of like going down you know, two miles under the you know, surface of the ocean, right? You don't know what you're going to find, so maybe it's better not to... To dive in, <laughs> right? I'm I'm content with secondhand reports of some things. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about back to privacy? The how could AI, in your view, how could it be used to improve privacy protections? Then that's a good question because uh, I don't think there's nearly as much money to be made protecting privacy as there is uh, to be made violating privacy. So. Um, but I think one way it could be used is sort of red team efforts. So uh, you know, the term red team means when you have uh, a good guy that you've hired to uh, to do some security testing. So uh, you know you might uh, see what you can find, not to exploit it, but to let people know. Like there's an effort with. Uh, Japan is doing something. Uh, they've announced that they're going to be uh, basically trying to hack routers and such to so they can inform people who have insecure equipment. So wait, so the Japanese government is uh, the uh, Japan's government is going to be doing this? Yes, I mean it's it's oh. the analog of a policeman going around and and checking whether doors are locked. Interesting, huh? I hadn't heard that. <laughs> that sounds uh, – well, well, what are they going to do then? If they find uh, your router is not appropriately secured, are they going to send you a ticket? Or are they going to send you a notice to say, hey, here's your problem and here's how to fix it? Or um, do you know that? Maybe that's not well, something. Well, I, 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 I assume the latter. That <laughs> you would uh, hope. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, it's a good thing that the government is doing this rather than uh, someone who – you know, wants to exploit it and not inform people. Right. Or maybe uh, government is doing it in addition to those who are already actively trying to find it. Perhaps that's why they even started that initiative. Who yeah. knows? Right. <laughs> well, what about, though, then, uh, as far as privacy, 
what are some, do you have any real life examples for when there have been harms, uh, additional examples for when harms came from um, those using AI in a way that violated privacy? Um, you know, I don't have an example that comes to mind, but uh, there's certainly the potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the potential with the, the bounty hunter. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> that's kind of serious if someone can, can find your location that uh, wants to find you that way. Right, right. Well, I always worry, too, about AI when it's making decisions about, like you said, um, not only loans, maybe even employer uh, decisions to hire or fire. Um, you know, if the AI is, is not correct or if it's faulty and maybe some information comes out that shows a um, uh, potential employee is, should not be hired because of a mistake in the algorithm. Uh, you know, that's that's another thing. It can really impact people's livelihoods, it seems. Right. And how would you know? Yeah. Uh, how would you know why you did not get a job? Uh, nobody's obligated to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after the Target incident, I, I doubt companies said, oh, we should back off and not try to find out personal information about people. Uh no, but I, I think they, they did realize that if they're too explicit about it, it people get upset. Right, right. I'm well, sure Target is even better by now at finding mm-hmm. out whether a consumer is likely to be pregnant. But yes. they're also going to be careful not to act too overtly on that information. Yes, that's a great point. They've improved their AI and they've improved their actions to the results of the AI, hopefully. (laughs) So, um, you know, we're at the end of the hour here. What is a key point about using artificial intelligence and maybe how it can impact information security or privacy? What's a key point you want listeners to take away from listening to our discussion today? Um, I would say that it's important to look at consequences. Um, That's something we've talked about several times, and that's not unique to AI. Um, but in general, people tend to focus on the probability of things happening. They focus on accuracy, and they don't focus as much on consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, some things are harmless. Some things, there's so much potential for harm that uh, a small chance of something happening bad, uh, but with great impact, you know, is, is something to keep your eyes on. Definitely. Well, I think that's a great way to sum up, um, like you said, everything we've been discussing today. Be careful of the consequences. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and discussing uh, discussing AI with me today, John. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. Today, I've been speaking with Dr. John Cook about artificial intelligence and some various uh, associated issues such as privacy accuracy, and certainly consequences. Please send some feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about artificial intelligence? Well, just let me know. Do you have another topic to suggest I cover or anything else to suggest? Um, Also, do you think that there's something that my listeners or even your employees, I know I have some listeners who say they have uh, their employees listening to some of my shows as part of their 
training and awareness activities. Just let me know that too. I'd love to hear it. You can contact me with questions, comments, and also your ideas using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled lifetime, you can certainly listen to the recordings and you can find all the recordings of all my past shows on all those different apps that I talked about earlier as well as the VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it is secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those who you do business with and who you work for. If they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them, be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.